Good morning. I welcome you back to our series called The Acts of the Apostles, A Call to Action. You know, every, every week we make a point to highlight that we exist as a church to help people live Jesus-centered lives. And that video, not only is I threw that in, kind of a little change to what we had with the rocket ship video uh, we're probably getting irritated with. But anyway, the, the video is a little bit different, but I wanted to use that video today just as a reminder to us that when we talk about living Jesus-centered lives, it's not, it's not just about us gathering for worship together once a week. It is that. That's certainly part of it. But, but living a Jesus-centered life is something that, that we're supposed to be uh, uh, our focus is supposed to be on every single day, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter who we're with. And I, I think that, um, that worship, that daily worship centered on Jesus every day, th- those kind of videos help remind us of that. And certainly it's going to play into what we're going to talk about today. You know, our, our interior design team that's working on things on the other side of that wall, they met again this week to talk about uh, where and how we want to display our mission. And we have uh, these banners, and they're nice, but uh, when we talk about the new space, how do we want to display our mission to help people live Jesus-centered lives in the new lobby? And so we talked about that, uh, but we also talked about where we wanted to display this. And some of you are familiar with this. Some of you, maybe this is new, but this really is a visual. Well, it's not up there yet. I'll go ahead and put that up. Uh, the next slide will give you a, a visual, there we go, a visual reminder of how we do that. We talk about living a Jesus-centered life, and we highlight that phrase a lot, uh, but this is a visual reminder of, of how we actually accomplish that, that mission. And maybe it's new to you. Um, you might have wondered if you watch through the announcement loops every week and you see those little circle icons, uh, and they're, some of them are you know, different, some of them look like this, right? Uh, what are they there for, what do they mean? So this is where that comes from. That's where those icons, and we're going to use those more and more as we get into our new space and we're able to put those different places. Just as a reminder uh, that that particular picture reminds us that this activity that we're doing is about following Jesus, and the next picture is about sharing Jesus or whatever. So that's what these things are for. Uh, But that first one, talking about following Jesus, uh, living a Jesus-centered life, really is focused on learning how to follow Jesus, learning how to embrace His ways. And there's different ways to do that, and we talk about those things in our sermons. And it's about that personal time in the Word and prayer that you have every day. That matters. Uh, When we have grace groups, though, that helps us learn how to follow Jesus together. Whenever we listen to sermons, whenever you listen to a, a Christian podcast, whenever you pick up a, a really solid Christian author, whether you like uh, the, the, the style of Max Lucado or you like something a little more scholarly, uh, whatever style you like, those solid Christian writers help us learn how to follow Jesus and embrace His ways. So those things are important in our everyday lives. It's the central focus of living a Jesus-centered life. But what we're going to see this morning, our call to action from Acts chapter 8, is going to remind us of this simple truth. And and if you could go back, if you don't mind going back, I just want to follow this through with you uh, in in the, the previous slide. If you could take it back one slide for me. We can't, we can't, 
expect people to follow Jesus. We're, we're here, and we want to learn how, together how to follow Jesus, but we can't expect people to follow Jesus until they first meet Jesus. Does that make sense? You can't follow someone that you haven't met. And, and so when we talk about following Jesus there in the middle, the first step to that is helping people meet Jesus, learning uh, or being able to experience His love in, in the gospel. And so we, we have to understand that people need to know that Jesus loves them and that he died on the cross for their sins. He wants to be their forgiver. He wants to be their savior. He wants to be the leader of, of their lives. And, and that's certainly the follow part. But people need to meet Jesus before they can follow him. But guess what else is really important? They're not going to meet Jesus until we are committed to that last one. Does that make sense? And, and if we are unwilling to share Jesus with other people, they're not going to meet Jesus. And they're certainly not going to be willing to follow Jesus if they haven't met him. And so they're all tied together in, in what, we, what we describe as living a Jesus-centered life. And so this morning, as we, as we walk through Acts chapter 8, this particular message really needs to land in two places. It needs to land on the hearts of those, perhaps here, perhaps watching online, who have yet to have, who do not yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know, if that's you, that uh, I, and I'm sure others, have been praying that, that you will listen carefully to the gospel. The gospel simply means the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you will listen carefully. Our desire is that you would meet Jesus, that you would experience his love for you today, that your life would be forever changed by faith in Jesus Christ as your forgiver of sin, as the leader of your life. So we're, we're praying, I'm praying that the, the, this message today lands on your heart if, if, that's, if that's where you are and your life will be transformed. But I'm also praying that this message lands on the hearts of those of us who genuinely desire to follow Jesus Following Jesus, of course, means more than just behaving ourselves by going through life saying, you know, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls or do. Like, that's good. It's good that, that you take seriously a, a life of following Jesus, that you want to know what God's standards are, and you want to live those out. We should do that. Um, but Jesus didn't just call us to sit here and learn good theology. We should. But he didn't just call us to that. He didn't just call us to live a life of righteous behavior. Jesus also called us to tell his story. Jesus called us to make disciples. He called us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded. And we are supposed to teach people how to follow Jesus but that can't happen until they meet Jesus, and they can't meet Jesus if we're unwilling to share Jesus with them. So that's where we're headed today, and I hope that that lands on your heart this morning in, in a significant way. If you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Uh, I want to, first of all, just thank Pastor Caleb for walking us through Stephen's story last week. It's a challenging story. It's a powerful story. Also, just real quick, make a, a quick clarification uh, and correction, uh, Pastor Caleb talked about one of the illustrations that he used was with, with veggie tales. And, and uh, that particular story, uh, Phil Vassar is 
liberal in his theology, just so you understand. He's liberal in his theology, and he's, he's, not, uh, he's not solid in a lot of things. Uh, but that particular story was on a uh, satire website. Now, satire only works if there's truth connected to it. Does that make sense? But there's not an actual video uh, about a carrot getting an abortion. But the reason satire works is because it's believable. When, when Phil Vassar uh, makes tweets or sends out actual tweets about his, uh, his belief that it, there's nuances to, uh, to abortion, all these kind of things, and gets pushed back, and he keeps pushing back. So there is this argument going on, uh, but just a quick clarification. We don't want to say something that's not, that's not factually accurate. So just pass that on to you as a clarification. But I really appreciated what, uh, the, the challenge that we got last week. Stephen is, is one of those Bible characters that, man, I just, uh, we admire. We admire for his courage. And, and here's what I admire most about Stephen. The, the, yeah, the courage to stand up and die for his faith is amazing, but he did it with love. And I tell you, that, that's, for me, that's a tension in my life uh, that I've been praying about uh, just daily, that God would, would give me courage to stand for truth, but do so in love, uh, to not become an angry, uh, an angry Christian that goes around, that's not who I want to be. And uh, so anyway, I appreciate the, the example that, that Stephen gives for us. And today we're going to talk about another man named Philip, who also was one of those original deacons uh, that was selected to help out with the widows in the church. And uh, it's just, I think it's a really, really powerful story. So we're going to pick up, chapter 8 begins where chapter 7 begins, which I guess makes sense, uh, but it kind of flows in. It, it, it almost bleeds into chapter 8 from what was happening, and uh, pun intended, right? We've got a guy who's literally dying from being stoned to death, and we jump into chapter 8 where it says, while that's happening, Saul was one of the witnesses to that. And we'll, we'll deal with Saul more next week, but he agreed completely with the killing, with the murder, with the martyrdom of Stephen. And that kicked off this, this great persecution in Jerusalem. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So it began this scattering. Now, there are different opinions as to why the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, the one that makes the most sense to me, and you can disagree with me if, if you like, but the one that makes the most sense is it was just out of courage, uh, courage to stay and to care for the, the believers that would remain there in Jerusalem. Uh, there's also a possibility that the ones who were scattered, remember last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and maybe you don't remember any of that, but it's possible that Stephen, Philip, these were, these were Grecian Jews, Hellenistic Jews, uh, that uh, perhaps they're the ones that got pushed out, and the ones who looked more, uh, more Jewish, if you want to put it that way, in the way they lived their lives, uh, maybe they got left alone. I, I, it doesn't tell us the reason why the apostles stayed. We just know that they did, and that many people were, many Christians were scattered. And, and it says in verse 2 that the devout men came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. Saul, this is important, verse 3, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, 
dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Jesus said this was going to happen. I don't know if you recall this or not. I'm going to bring your attention back to what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. If you don't remember it, go ahead and look at it. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus also said, You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, not just in Jerusalem, which was where they were, but also throughout Judea and in Samaria. And then we're going to get to the part where to the ends of the earth. That's coming. But for right now, this, uh, this thing that Jesus said was going to happen, that they would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria, that's what's taking place at this, uh, this point. So Acts 1.8, we're going to keep coming back. You'll probably see that video again because it highlights Acts 1.8, uh, the one that we started with. It's kind of like the theme verse for the whole book. The, the book of Acts is, is uh, it's a book about the sharing of the story of Jesus. And, and how that story of Jesus was spread beyond Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. I want you to write this down. We're going we're gonna to read Philip's story. We get introduced to Philip here. And before, before I read you the beginning of his story, uh, I want you just to imagine people are getting scattered. They have to leave their homes. They have to leave their jobs. They have to go to other places for, for safety. Just, just step into the reality of that for a moment. And I want you to write this down in your notes. When life is hard, when life gets hard, share Jesus. When life, when life is hard, share Jesus. Let me read to you what happened here in verse 4. The believers who were scattered, they, they continued to preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, of one of the, one of the folks that was that was scattered. Philip went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, as you can imagine, there was great joy in that city as people were coming to know Jesus. They were believing, and we'll find out they were getting baptized. Pretty incredible. But I want to go back to this point. I don't want us to gloss over it like it's not a big deal. When it says those who had been scattered, they were scattered because persecution broke out against them. And I don't want us to just move past that without stepping into the reality of that. Paul was trying to destroy the church. The, the language there that's being used of, of the way that he's behaving is that of like a wild beast who is, is just ravenous in, in wanting to uh, destroy and kill. That's how he's described. That's the, that's the anger that's in his heart towards these Christians. I mean, imagine... Just the reality of, of this guy going around dragging men and women out of their homes and putting them into prison. We go to Philip here, we find out you know, Philip didn't move to Samaria because he got a better job there. He didn't move to Samaria because you know, he was in this season of life where he wanted to experience better weather. Right? That happens in, in some people's lives, and that's fine. But that's not why Philip went to Samaria. Philip 
had to leave his home in Jerusalem because of the persecution. And when it says that he went to Samaria, we have to understand that he went to a city where there were ethnic tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. And I put it this way, you, you know, we still have in America, we still have some racial tensions that exist in our country. And, and a lot of that racial tension stems back to some terrible things in, in American history, like slavery and segregation. I genuinely believe that a lot, if not most, of Americans really genuinely want to experience relationship in our country like that that was expressed by Martin Luther King Jr., that, that people would just simply be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. I genuinely believe that most of Americans want to live that experience, that American experience. But what happens, you've, you've got some people that keep bringing it up, that keep going back and, and use the things that happened in the past, which were terrible, to divide people. They keep, uh, keep rehashing it and, and wanting to do weird things with it. And that's kind of like what was happening between the Jews and the Samaritans. There were some things, bad things, that happened 700 years in the past, before this moment, before the time of Jesus. And, and those things that happened in their past uh, between Jews and Samaritans, it, it was still creating, even after all those centuries, it was still creating these racial and religious tensions among these people groups. And so when Philip goes to Samaria, he's not walking into a, uh, a friendly environment. And I want you to try to imagine this was you. Having to leave your home, leave your job, leave your school, your, your community, perhaps your extended family, and move yourself or your family to a, a different town. Imagine your life upside down. Now you've got to find a new job. You've got to find a new home. You've got to get the kids into a, a, a new school, into a new town that's not necessarily glad you're there. How are you going to look at that? In that moment of your life, how are you going to process that and view it? Everything that Philip was experiencing at this point in his life was hard. And yet he saw it, not just he, he's just an example, but he saw it as an opportunity to share Jesus. It says here in the, in the passage, the believers, all of these believers that were scattered, they, they saw it the same way opportunity to share Jesus. And it's a good reminder to us that when we find ourselves in uncomfortable, difficult, challenging, unexpected places, it is the right place. It is the right time to share Jesus. It's the, no matter where we are, no matter what we're experiencing in life, it's the right time and the right place to say, you know, this is hard. This is not what I would have chosen this is hard. It's not what I imagined my life was going to look like right now, but I'm here. I'm here, and God is still God. The gospel of Jesus is still true. So I'm going to view this as an opportunity to share Jesus with these people that God has placed into my life, even if this is not how I imagined my life was going to play out. Life is hard. Share Jesus. 
The next two sections of chapter 8 are about Philip sharing Jesus with two people. The first one, uh, now of course he shares it with all of the the Samaritans, right, And, and they're responding, but there's two particular people that are mentioned in the next two sections. One of them is this this uh, sorcerer named Simon, and I want to read his story to you. Uh, it says in, in verse 9, a, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. Now, it says sorcerer. Uh, maybe you have the word magician. I'm not sure what, what word you have there. We're not talking about you know the guy with the hat and he pulls the rabbit out. with the. It's, that's not what this is. This is, this is satanic. This is... This is demonic power that is being used to deceive people. That's what's being described here. And this guy Simon had deceived a lot of people for a lot of years. It says, amazing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And here's how the deception turned out. It says, everyone from the least to the greatest, they often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. That's kind of scary. And they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. And then Philip shows up. And Philip is also doing miraculous things. But Philip is doing miraculous things through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the one true God. And so it's different. He's not uh, doing it to gain influence for himself. He's not doing it, he's not uh, performing these miracles to shine the, the, the spotlights on himself, he's doing it through the power of God to shine the spotlight on who? On Jesus. So it's different. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. This is really interesting. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began to follow Philip around wherever he went and was amazed, was astounded by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John, apostles, to Samaria to check things out. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Also kind of interesting. They believed, they got baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit in the same way that happened on the day of Pentecost. What's happening there? We'll talk about it. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter And John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given uh, when the apostles laid their hands on people, oh boy, he offered them money to buy this power. The true colors are coming out. He said, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit, and Peter sees right through him. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Now, if he was truly a believer, 
in Jesus Christ. If he was truly saved, his heart would be right with God, but it's not. Your heart's not right with God. He says, uh, repent of your wickedness. Pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. I can see you're full of bitter jealousy and you are held captive by sin. Also interesting in verse 24, he's challenged to repent, right? Repent means to, yes, ask for forgiveness, but to turn away from from our sin. And what does he do? He just says, pray to the Lord for me. Simon exclaimed, these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. Uh, pray that that won't happen. He, he doesn't repent. He doesn't, he, he doesn't humble himself. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. There's a lot happening there in, in, that, in that passage. Let's just start with Simon. What a, this guy's a major toad. I don't know how else to describe this guy. Uh, he, he, looks, he looks like he's uh, changing, right? He's deceived many people for many years, and it, it, it hasn't stopped. He heard the gospel, he saw the miracles, he even gave this profession of faith in Christ. He got baptized, but he was never truly born again. Peter said, you still have a wicked heart. Well, it's because he didn't want his life to change. He didn't want his life to change. He just saw all of this Jesus stuff as a way to make his business grow, as a way to fix this problem that Philip was getting this influence in people's lives and he was losing it. wanted to keep that influence. He wanted to gain influence. He was more interested in power than he was in Jesus. And there's lots of people like that today. I've been in ministry now a long, long time, and I've, I've seen it over and over again throughout the years. People will show up at, at church. You haven't seen them. Who knows when, right? And they'll show up in church when something in their life falls apart or turns upside down and, and and I guess, I'm assuming, because uh, they've never come and told me this, I'm just assuming uh, that they think that showing up in this building is like a good luck charm, that it's going to make everything right. I'm not sure why uh, they do it, but they do. They show up, and they're here for a couple weeks, and then when things kind of settle down in their lives, pfft, I won't see them again until the next uh, tragedy or the next crisis in their lives. I've seen that cycle over and over again. And it, and uh, what's happening there? Do they really want to know Jesus, or do they just want to manipulate God into fixing something in their life? God will be the judge of that. It's not my place. It's just, a, it's just an interesting observation. I, I, I don't, would also make this observation. I, I hear, you hear, politicians who are clearly far from God. And they quote Bible verses. Why are they quoting Bible verses? They, they don't either know what they mean or don't care what they mean. They're, they're, they're not quoting Scripture because they're interested in God's standards. That's not why they're doing it. They're quoting Scripture because they're trying to manipulate people like us into thinking that they are something that they are not. That was Simon. And it's interesting that Philip shared Jesus with Simon. Simon said he believed, he got baptized. And Simon was not interested in Jesus. He was not interested in repentance. Simon was not a born-again believer. Now, pay attention. Simon 
was not a born-again believer, and somehow Philip missed it. Had Peter and John not showed up, Simon may very well have gone on to have influence in the church and done a lot of damage in that church as a false prophet. And I wonder how, how when, when, when Peter called him out and Philip sees that happening, I wonder, I wonder, it doesn't say, I just wonder how Philip looked at that and thought, man, I missed that, I blew that one. It's not, just the, it's not the only potentially discouraging thing that I see in, in that particular story. Philip shared Jesus with people, right? Shared the gospel with them. They got baptized. But it wasn't until Peter and John showed up that they received the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if Philip saw that and he's thinking, what did I do wrong? Did I not say it the right way? Did I not explain the full message of the gospel? What, what did I miss? But that's not why that happened. Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans have not had a good relation for hundreds of years. And so it was important that the apostles verified that the gospel of Jesus Christ had, number one, truly been accepted by the Samaritans, and that they truly have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that they were part of, genuinely and fully part of the body of Christ, just like the, the believers in Jerusalem were. Otherwise, they probably would have continued on to be this, this separate, in, inferior group of Christians. That, that very well may have been how they would have been looked at by the Christians in, in Jerusalem had the apostles not gone and witnessed this and, and laid hands on them and verified, yes, the gospel has come to the Samaritans. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in all equal uh, status before God. But I wonder, because it doesn't, it doesn't say that God revealed that to Philip. He said, hey, just so you know, this is why we're going we're gonna to hold off on the Holy Spirit till the apostles get here. Here's why we need unity within the church. I just wonder how Philip looked at that. I want you to put yourself in Philip's sandals. You thought Simon was a legit believer. He wasn't, and you missed it. You shared Jesus and baptized people in the name of Jesus, but it was the professionals that had to come and validate everything was legit. How easy would it have been for, for Philip to look at all of that and say, you know what, I'm a failure. I stink at this sharing Jesus thing. Let the real evangelist share Jesus. I'll just be a well-behaved Christian, and I'll, let, uh, I'll just stay out of all these awkward conversations about my faith. I'll let people who are better at it than me do it. <laughs> no. Write this down. You ready? Here's the next one. So when, when things are hard, share Jesus. Here's the second one. When it looks like your efforts have failed, and sometimes it feels that way, you share Jesus with people, and they're like, I don't care. Or worse than that, they, they push back on you. Or you thought, you thought you shared Jesus with someone and they prayed to receive Christ and six months later you're like, where, where is this person? There's nothing that's changed in their lives. I must have failed. When it looks like our efforts have failed, don't give up, share Jesus. 
Share Jesus. We have to keep sharing Jesus because we don't know uh, what God's up to. Philip didn't know that God was going to hold off on the Holy Spirit to validate a bigger picture of the unity of the church. He didn't know that. And yeah, he might have missed something with, with Simon. Time would have revealed that, I'm sure. It doesn't mean that Philip failed. God had a way of revealing that. And it looks like our efforts have failed. Keep sharing Jesus. And that leads us to the second guy that Philip shared Jesus with. I'm going to tell you his story here in verse 26. So all these cool things. You've got this big tent revival kind of a scene happening in Samaria. Things are, things are amazing. And then verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. So he would have been like the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia, which would be uh, the Nubian kingdom in modern day. It's not, it's not what we would think of as Ethiopia, be in modern day Sudan. And uh, he met this, uh, there was this, this eunuch of great authority. He was under uh, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Right? So the, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he apparently is a convert to, to Judaism, a Gentile that uh, is a convert to Judaism, and he's returning from what? Most likely he's on his way home from the Feast of Pentecost that we have been talking about. Anyway, he's seated in this carriage, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? He urged Philip to come up into the carriage, sit with them, and he began to show him in Isaiah, who's reading from Isaiah 53, began to show him that that particular prophecy was about Jesus and told him the story of Jesus. And the eunuchs asked Philip, tell me what was the prophet talking about? He's talking about himself, talking about uh, anyone else. And Philip just began to share the good news with him about Jesus. As they rode along, they, they came to some water. And the eunuchs said, look, there's, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And so that's what they did. They stopped the carriage. He got out and he baptized him. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, this is a cool word, snatched Philip away. Uh, that phrase there means that there's this miracle moment when, uh, when God just transports Philip from where he was uh, over to a, different, to a different place, to this town of, of Azotus. And he continued, listen, he continued to preach the good news there in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. You go back to this road in this moment in verse 26 when, when God instructs Philip to get on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here's what I want you to know about it. That particular road at that time was not a well-traveled road. I imagine it to be kind of like our current Route 66. I don't know if you've ever been on Route 66. It's pretty cool, but few people travel it anymore because we have the interstate highways that are a lot, you know, they've bypassed all these little towns. And, uh, and so people just don't use it as much anymore. And that's kind of like it was with this particular road. Gaza 
the old Gaza had been destroyed, and there was a new Gaza, and so that particular road, people just didn't travel much anymore, and that was the one that uh, God wanted him to walk on, to go on this uh, unpopular road to a, a, a nowhere, an unpopulated town. What's happening here? We've got this revival happening in this city, in a, in a city that that no one would have expected the gospel to take root. And God, you want me to leave that? You want me to leave all of this and go to a forgotten town on a forgotten road? It makes no sense. Write this down. Here's the third thing. When the Holy Spirit nudges you and me to do something, to say something that doesn't make sense, share Jesus. When the Holy Spirit, and that's, I don't know how else to describe it to you, uh, he speaks to us in our minds, in our hearts. He nudges us. He leans on us. However you would word it, when, when, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, do this, say this, do it, share Jesus. Philip was, was headed to Gaza, right? Go, that's all the instruction you got. Go on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if that was the instruction that you got, where do you think the mission would be? I would assume that my mission's in Gaza. That's what I would assume, but it wasn't. He never got there. He never got to Gaza. The mission that God planned for him wasn't even in the city that God told him to go to. The mission was on the way there, and isn't that the way it is in life? It's on the way there that God often calls us out to say something, to do something through the Spirit. Somewhere along the way, Philip crossed paths with this Ethiopian official. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah, didn't understand what he was reading. Philip shares the story of Jesus. He trusts Jesus, gets baptized. This middle-of-nowhere meeting was not an accident. It was orchestrated by God. And I love the fact that God did not give Philip a step-by-step playbook on what he was really asking Philip to do. He just said, go south, hop on Route 66 and head south. Okay. And he did it. And then there's this chariot. Now understand, this is an important official. Uh, This is someone that uh, you don't just approach casually, right? And and so when they're crossing paths, this this is the moment where God says through the Spirit, that's the guy I want you to talk to. That doesn't make sense, right? That doesn't make any sense. But he did it. When the Holy Spirit nudges you and me to say something, do something, do it, say it, even if it doesn't make sense. It may not happen when you expect it. It may not fit into your schedule. It may not fit into your plan for the day. But if you and I get into the habit of every day asking the Holy Spirit to keep our eyes open, to keep our ears open, to keep our hearts open throughout the day, to whatever opportunities that God wants to place in our path to share Jesus. If we will pray that prayer, God will answer it. I promise you God will answer it in weird and wonderful ways. I love Philip's story because it reminds us that when life is hard, when it looks like our efforts are failing, when the Holy Spirit nudges us to do something that doesn't make sense, No matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter who we are with, it's always the right time, it's always the right place to share Jesus. 
The other reason this story is so exciting is because it is irrefutable evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's for everyone. Ethnicity didn't matter. Economic status didn't matter. Physical limitations. It's likely that this guy, as a eunuch, would have had physical limitations. It didn't matter. Lack of biblical knowledge didn't matter. All that mattered was a willingness to repent and trust Jesus as the forgiver of sin and the leader in life. That's still true today. The gospel says to us, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter what the level of your intelligence is. It doesn't matter what embarrassing, shameful events might be in your past. It doesn't matter if you've believed the wrong thing about Jesus your entire life. The only thing that matters is your willingness to repent and your desire to have your life changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. If you want a new heart, if you want a new life, if you want a new beginning and a new eternal hope, this invitation of God to receive His gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who died a sacrificial death for your sin, for my sin, and who rose from the dead three days later, making it possible for us to be made right with God through faith in Christ. That invitation of grace is open to you, to every one of us right now. No exceptions. Here at Grace Fellowship, we desperately want you to meet Jesus and experience His love. And if we can help with that in any way... Uh, we, we as pastors would love to have a conversation with you to, to help you really fully understand what it means to trust Jesus and, and, and walk through the gospel with you. There are Christians in this room who I know, if you know them, right? You're like, I'm, I'm new here, but I know this person over there. They've been going to this church for a while. I, I'm, I'm promising you that there are Christians in this room that would love to have that conversation about their faith in Christ with you and walk you through the gospel. They'd love it. We have a button on our web, it's on the main page of our website that says, I'm ready. Click that. Maybe that's the first step. You know, I want to understand this a little bit more. And there's verses there. There's a, there's a sample prayer of faith there. There's some information. But we'd love to know about that. If you make a decision to meet Jesus, to, to trust in Jesus, we'd love to know about that because it doesn't stop there. Yes, that's the first step. We have to meet Jesus. But the next step throughout our lives is to learn how to follow Jesus. And that's part of what we do together every week. And we, we want to help you with that. The heartbeat of Grace Fellowship really is to set, I believe, by a rhythm of helping people live Jesus-centered lives and, and learning how to follow Jesus. But I, I hope we never forget that People can't follow Jesus until they meet him and, and trust him as their forgiver of sin, as the leader of their life, and they're never going to meet Jesus if we are unwilling to share Jesus with them. I may not know what difficulty you're walking through right now in your life, and I might not know the full measure of the unexpected, unpleasant, uncomfortable situation that you're walking through right now. But I do know that God has... Not only does he know about it, he has a purpose for you 
in it, in the middle of it. And he can use, uh, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you are with, God wants to use you to share Jesus with people. So here's the challenge. The challenge is simply this. I want to challenge you every day. Maybe you're in the habit of this. Awesome. Keep it up. But if you're not, every morning before you, before you get your day going, just start the day in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit for the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the open heart to be able to step into conversations, to step into opportunities that God intends to prepare for you in advance for that day to share Jesus. Start the day asking, expecting the Holy Spirit to show up and do weird and wonderful things in your life.